This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Hello and welcome to the Modern Homesteading Podcast. My name is Harold Thornbro, and I'm joined today by Sophia Ng and... Wow, she's got a great story of how she got into homesteading. Plus, she's got a book coming out here real soon we'll talk a little bit about. But uh, with all that, Sophia, welcome to the Modern Homesteading Podcast. Thanks, Harold, for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm really glad to have you. And I'm really excited for folks to hear your story. Uh, You've been on the speaking circuit here lately, the homesteading speaking circuit. So I imagine a lot of people are hearing your story. But uh, I want our listeners to hear it as well because I, I, you know, I, I talk to a lot of homesteaders and they just come from, tons of backgrounds i mean there's just i mean business folks that turn into homesteaders and everything yours is a little bit unique and that you really came from the tech world and uh into this and 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 even moved across country so we'll talk all about that but yeah i would just love folks to just maybe hear a little bit about you and what got you into homesteading oh well thanks harold yeah so i this all started 12 years ago i heard joel salatin speak at google in what 2011 And it was around the same time that my oldest daughter was born. And he was talking about how real sustainability needs to happen here. You know, even at Google, he was he was saying, like, we need to have a chicken coop right outside the cafeteria and (laughs) throw away all this waste and we'll get eggs right for the cafeteria and this whole closed loop system that I thought, well, that's fascinating. I don't know if Google's ever going to invest in that, but definitely planted a seed 12 years ago. And when my daughter was born, I wanted to start making applesauce for her. And in our culture, we just don't cook our fruits, <laughs> really. And what, so what is your, you want to explain your culture a little bit, where you're, kind of your background in that? Sure. Yeah. My parents are from Vietnam. They left in, they left Saigon in 1975. So the fall of Saigon and they, they moved out here in the United States. Actually, they landed in Camp Pendleton, got sponsored in Seattle. And then my dad moved down to Silicon Valley, I think before it was Silicon Valley, okay. um, um, shortly thereafter. And and they just slowly worked their way up, but, you know, started from nothing. And so, you know, as part of our culture, it's been it's been great. I mean, I've learned a lot of things, a lot of things that I dismissed growing up hearing stories. I was born and raised in San Jose, right? So I learned how to code before I learned how to cook. And <laughs> I just, um, my eyesight is terrible. <laughs> so I started on those dark blue screens or those bright blue screens in the dark mm-hmm. in fifth grade. But yeah, so I just, you know, when I had my daughter, I started looking into food and wanted to start making applesauce, but all the applesauce in the grocery stores, you know, they had this green, gray, brown tint to it. And I just, just frankly, I just, if I didn't want to eat it or then how am I going to feed my daughter to eat this, this green mush? Mm -hmm. And that's when I started looking into making her own applesauce. And that's, I thought, okay, well, you know, enough of these books that I was gifted. So I had William Sonoma books, like a baby Biaba book, things that were handed down, you know, as your first time mom, right? People just kind of give you your left their leftover books. And in there, these books would say, make sure that you source organic apples or organic pears before you make your your food. 
Um, and they said it was because the baby's immune system and their digestive system is not strong enough to um, process and digest the toxins in pesticides. Mm. So I thought, okay, so then at what age then is their immunity or their body built up enough to digest these pesticides? Or do we need to make some changes? Yeah. And it was throughout that process, that question alone made me really start looking into, well, you know, I don't think it's ever safe for, for kids and even adults to be processing the pesticides. And I didn't really open up my eyes until that moment. Um, but, you know, we, we cooked from home, we made homemade food, but over, over time, I just, I realized that we were still buying our condiments and our sauces from the grocery store and in the back of these and Asian condiments, right? So like how to make bulgogi sauce, they have these pre-made like hoisin sauce and things that it's just convenient, but that's the only way that we really cooked at home. And once I discovered um, that there were a lot of additives in these condiments and sauces, I started looking into nourishing traditions. Someone actually gifted me a book from Sally Fallon it's that big yellow book, mm -hmm. um, but it talks about going back to basics, making food from scratch, eating pasteurized food, meat, right? Grass-fed, grass-finished beef. And I just remember going, oh, wow, we, we really need to start making this from scratch. So it's been a journey. It's been 12 years of, you know, cooking for my parents and they lived with us as well. And I remember when I started making nourishing traditions food, they they had a hard time because it was missing the umami flavors that's so common in our Asian food that, um, you know, my mom and I went to the kitchen together. And over the last 12 years, we've just really been one by one, one dish by one. We have replaced it so that it's nourishing traditions compliant, but also has the uh, the umami flavors that's good enough for my discerning mom. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. That's, that's awesome. Um, I, I still can't hardly get past the fact that Joel Salatin was speaking at Google. <laughs> I'm still, <laughs> still dwelling on that in my mind. Only that guy could just be at Google one week and at a homesteading conference the next week and <laughs> on a Joe Rogan podcast after that or wherever he's just everywhere. It just cracks me up. <laughs> I love Joel. I love I Joel. And, and, you know, I used to speak at tech conferences, at Growth Hackers and uh, SaaS Talk globally, mm -hmm. and I used to talk about growth marketing. That's my background, growth marketing and um, growth product. And it's so interesting because, and I've spoken at Google myself, but what's interesting is I think the highlight of my career was actually this last August where I got to speak at Polyface. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and Joel was there and it was just like wow what a weird <laughs> like yeah, it, 12 years journey that that's it's, you know kind yeah of yeah just around. to see that go full circle like it did is great <laughs> I love it I love it well yeah so you so obviously you needed this change in your life you wanted to make this change for you and your family um now that you didn't stop there you actually I mean you guys just didn't want to just grow some you know pesticide herbicide free food or or and just you know start making some things from scratch tell us how far this went i mean you really you went all the way with it didn't you <laughs> uh, yeah. i'll tell you how bad it got let's say so we lived in the bay area we born and raised my husband and i and we moved up to the area of walnut creek california which is a nice area but before we even put in an offer for the house and 
you know, the Bay Area, it takes a while to save up your money. So we we bought this home. And before I even put in the offer, there's an app called Instacart where it's a food delivery service. Mm-hmm. And back then, Whole Foods used to deliver through Instacart before I think the, uh, Jeff Bezos bought them out. Yeah. But so what happened was before I even put in an offer, I put in our zip code into this app to to make sure that there were four Whole Foods to deliver our grocery store, grocery groceries to our house. And to go from there um, <laughs> to realizing in 2017, when Jeff Bezos bought Whole Foods, that's when it opened up my eyes and I realized that organic food isn't organic anymore. And my mom had talked about this. She has a lot of, I mean, I, I t- share about it in the book, but she had a lot of wisdom that I wish I didn't dismiss right off the bat when I was younger. She said a lot of things. And one of them was, I don't think your groceries that you buy from Whole Foods that's labeled organic is is really organic, right? And I was like, mom, it's Whole Foods. Like, are it's, it's really they... organic according to their definition of organic absolutely <laughs> but not what right. when we say organic we think of something completely different yeah absolutely absolutely and and i just i dismissed mom and up until when amazon bought whole foods that's when it i was like oh no we have got to learn how to grow this ourselves so mm-hmm. on that property we we bought a quarter acre and i started growing our food and you know enough enough for vegetables anyway mm-hmm. um and that was really heavily in 2019 before 2020 i had no idea what was going you know i wasn't watching the news i you know covid was not a thing in the radar by the time march hit in california everything had shut down we were talking lockdowns and curfews i mean i'm sure you had it where you're at oh, too yeah. yeah but in california everything shut down including grocery stores so we couldn't even buy anything And at that point, I felt, well, okay, at least we have some of our vegetables. So worst case, I don't know how long this is going to be. We at least have vegetables, but we didn't have a protein source. And um, my again, my parents had stories from the fall of Saigon, and they would they would always tell us about how that was the only other time I'd heard of the term curfews and lockdowns. And I would always tell my parents, like, can you guys stop? telling us these scary stories it's never going to happen in america and that was just growing yeah. up right but when that happened it really opened up my eyes and i told my husband that day march 16th 2020 i said we've got to go get some chickens i need a protein source cuz at that point mom and dad lived with us my sister quarantined with us and so we went up to mill valley which is north north of sacramento bought 3 egg-laying hens because I didn't want chicks. I didn't know how to raise chicks or how long this was going to be for. I needed eggs at least, right? So uh, we paid $300. Oh, my. (laughs) For each. Each. We bought three hens. So it was almost $1,000 that we paid. Wow. And I I knew we were being taken for a ride. I knew. (laughs) But like, what could you do? So um. On the road, on the way back through the San Francisco Bay Bridge, I can still remember this so clearly. I turned to my husband, Tim, and I told him, I never, ever want us to be in a position again where we have to worry about feeding seven people off of three eggs a day. And it has been a slow, I guess, slow and fast process in a way where we have, because of that moment, and I think that was the aha moment for us where we really were forced to wake up from it all, even though it was been a slow journey of like, yeah, we've switched yeah. out to work, we're going to eat from, 
you know, cook from scratch and grow our food and everything. I think it was the catalyst that made us realize, okay, we're not playing around anymore. And we really have to get to the truth and we have to really learn how to control like our food supply because in California, it was taken away from us in an instant. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious, is the, the, the person you bought these chickens off of, were they advertising them for that price or did you guys have to like talk them into selling you some? It was on their website. Yeah. I mean, they were really looking to take advantage of people in that situation, weren't they? Maybe, like, maybe not. But the next day they sold out. That's crazy. $300 chicken. $300 wow. a chicken. And we had a couple of friends that heard how ridiculous this was. And they said, hey, Sophie, like, we're not going to be raising any chickens in the city. But can you go back and get two more from her and you raise them and then share whatever eggs you have left? And so we actually did that for a while. Um, but after <laughs> that, I mean, it's just crazy. Like, we're yeah. Are we living in? And I think it still boggles my mind that oh yeah, we have a lot of friends and family still back there that you know they think well, we're they think we're crazy. <laughs> now the whole world kind of turned upside down. It wasn't just California, although I think in California yeah. it probably went to the absolute extreme. But yeah, it was everywhere. Yeah, that's that's amazing. You know, and you were taking steps already. You were already starting the journey, and that just kind of rushed it. But um. Yeah, I think for for a lot of folks, you know, that 2020 was a wake up call to the possibilities of of food scarcity and and you know it, it it's sad that it took that to wake a lot of us up. I mean, I was on my journey too, and it took me to another level, especially on preparedness. Um, even though I was already homesteading by then, but uh, yeah, I think it woke a lot of folks up. Woke a lot of folks up. So so where did it go from there? You got your chickens, you got your vegetable garden. Is this as yep. far as it goes or did it go a little further? Tell us. <laughs> well, of course, you know, the chickens are the gateway animal. <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> we didn't know that at the time. We didn't know it was called homesteading. We This was literally our journey. We had to rip the Band-Aid off and we just jumped all feet in. And so, of course, we have the chickens and we we got our first eggs and we were so excited. Like, yes, freedom. <laughs> you know, our first egg the next morning. And it it slowly began, we we thought, okay, well, we need more protein. And what can we do? What can we add? So we started looking into ruminants, so sheep and goat. And specifically, we wanted a dairy sheep so that we could get a source of milk as well as beef and then wool. So we got East Frisians, but we couldn't put them on our quarter acre. You're on a quarter acre property. I was getting right. We're on a quarter like acre. That. No, no. Yeah. So we wanted more. So we we actually, but we didn't know where to go. We had absolutely, and my husband and I do real estate in the Bay Area. So it's really hard to leave. And that's also where we were born and raised. We have our friends, our communities out there. So at least our church community was out there. And so it's it was really hard for us to to just pick up and leave. And and we wanted we we wanted to have fun doing it at the time like you know 2020 everybody's got like their rainbow colored eggs you got like the <laughs> heritage birds right yeah. um but so we we ended up uh, moving up to almost six acres up in north of sacramento so lincoln was the name of the city and so we had two ponds there we brought mm. in two sheep two goats um and we started growing out there as well. We had, we added more than just chickens. We started adding, uh, we added a hundred ducks. We added wow. six geese to protect the ducks. <laughs> and then we added turkeys. And so, you know, it's, it's slowly, slowly um, started growing out our big little farm. 
Yeah, you put that but six six acres to work, didn't you? He did, and it was thing. it was it was a lot of fun. Then that's actually when we flew out to Joel's, Joel Salatin, and we learned how to you know butcher and raise and butcher our chickens, mm-hmm. and um, if we wanted to bring in rabbits. So and we try to involve the children at all times. Um, we had an RV during 2020, so we had visited different regenerative farms. We always, you know, went home to our home base and implemented everything that we learned. So, you know, um, we we wanted to grow beyond organic and regeneratively, and so um, it's it was a great opportunity for me to work with my mom as well in the on the farm and um, learn our old traditional Asian ways of farming, mm-hmm. which is closed loop. And I had no real idea of, of how awesome this is now and, and looking like how the economy looks like today and how we how dependent we are on outside fertilizers yes. from yeah. international, right? And so how do we just live off our land sustainably? And and you know, it's it's been really great because you know through that process though we realized that we really didn't have community. We didn't have the people that were doing what we were doing or cared enough to do what we were doing um, in California. Yeah. And as, as you know, homesteading can get very expensive. It's quite an investment on the land alone, mm-hmm. much less, you know, getting a tractor and getting different uh, you know, adapter pieces for the adapter. Like sure. we had to get a backhoe and, and things like that to really work the land. Um, so, uh, 2022, I also do lending. My husband does real estate in 2022. We'd actually just refinanced our home three times between 2020 and 2021. And I got us down to uh, two and a quarter for interest rate. And so, you know, definitely beating inflation. Yeah. And we'll stay here forever. But then in 2022, in January, right, we heard that at least I heard that uh, interest rates were going to jump back up. And so, you know, I think you and I both know the market is manipulated like much ever, of everything else. Yep. And so I just didn't know how quickly things were going to go up um, and buy how much. And so because of that, I told my husband, you know, hey, if we're ever going to think about leaving California, we should start looking now. And so we toured and we were specifically looking for homesteading communities that you know, we're, we're on the same page. Um, we had some pretty tough questions for folks in uh, East Texas, East Oklahoma, and East Tennessee. I was, I put together a spreadsheet years ago and, and thought, you know, I never thought we were going to move, but by the time we had to make the move, I, I already did some basic research. We just had to go meet the people. Yeah. Yeah. So you landed in Tennessee, didn't you? We landed in Tennessee. Yeah, we had 48 hours in Tennessee. I set up a luncheon with 12 different families. They were all transplants from all over Portland to um, you know, New York, Michigan, New Hampshire, just everyone from everywhere in the last couple of years had moved out here. And so I had a luncheon with them and we just I just speed dated everybody and asked some questions. <laughs> What did you do? What would you do if this were to happen again? And my husband actually went to interview the sheriff of our county um, because, you know, Newsom and what he was doing to California, we knew like I hadn't realized it um, until until 2020. But it really does come down to a local level. And the sheriff is is the one that you really need to know. So that was important for us. Yeah, great call. Yeah, that was a great idea. 
Yeah. A little, I mean, a little, most people wouldn't think to do that. I mean, that's, that's amazing that you guys were both, I mean, you're, you're talking to the people he's talking to some officials. I mean, I think that is just a, that's a, yeah, that's a strategic move that most people don't really involve, you know, in their moving. I don't think. Yeah. Well, I mean, that was the only reason for us to move because we already had an established homestead in California and mm-hmm. it would only, the only reason, reason why we would move is for the community. Yeah. And, um, and so it was very important for us. And while he was interviewing the sheriff, there was an off-market property that came up. And so it's just, it was five acres, flat, fully fenced, um, all pasture and had a modular home on it. And I thought, you know, hey, that's enough for us to get all of our animals out, get all of us out of California. We just need a landing spot. And that's what we got and within the month so we closed in march and we were already at three and um three and a quarter so it already jumped a point yeah oh, yeah month. hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's cousin kevin's kazoo concert in kansas city go kevin or becky's bachelorette bash in bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever again so download the priceline app today your savings are waiting to your happy place for a happy price go to your happy price price line yeah it was a good call there too because we've seen what it's done since then even well, yeah exactly we're at eight and a half percent easily yeah, it's now. crazy yeah yeah wow so. well you picked a beautiful spot i mean i i kind of went to high school and grew up in that area in well i was in the cookville tennessee putnam county area in tennessee and it's just a beautiful area down through there and uh yeah you're right lots of lots of great homesteading uh people down there just doing it for real i mean in the the inner the way they all join together too i've never well i mean i've like i said i've interviewed people from all over the country and i don't know that i've ever met a more tight-knit bunch of homesteaders than what's down there in tennessee and all helping <laughs> each other and really just being there for one another yeah, it's a very unique place in the world. Um, mm-hmm. it's very biodiverse, but the community is all here. And I think that most, you know, I, I tried to look into the culture of specifically East Tennessee, and um, there were a bunch of rebels here before. Like they were, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. they were the they were the rogue ones. And uh, and so I was like, well, I gotta go meet the people because you can only tell so much by a listing on MLS or on Realtor.com. You have to go meet the people, right. and everyone. You know, it it doesn't even matter. I know we don't look physically, you know, like like everybody else here in town or in much of the South. But I I will tell you, we have never felt more at home than than where we are today. And I think it's because our values, our mindset, where we are. I don't feel like, you know, in California, I was trying I felt like I was trying to convince people that, you know, hey, come build with me. Things aren't normal. Um, versus here, people know things aren't normal. You don't need to convince me. Let's go do this together. And that takes a tremendous amount of stress away from me personally, but it puts me in a mindset of like, okay, let's go, let's build. Like there's hope for the future around, you know, being around other people who, who know versus where I was in California, where I was starting to lose hope. Yeah. Well, yeah, I agree. That's yeah. You like I said, you, it seemed like a wise move. Uh, to where you guys landed i would like to hear a little bit about what you have there i mean is it are you doing the similar uh, similar things to what you were doing in california or did you add a bunch of stuff what kind of new uh, tell me a little bit about your homestead there sure well we can't add that much stuff on five acres but we did add dairy cows and so we do have a micro dairy 
and uh, we have three jerseys and and you know it's interesting because at the three year mark I realized from from March from March 16 2020 um to March 16 2023 I looked up and I realized wow it has been 3 years we brought home three what chickens in 2020 to now three dairy cows in 2023 and we not only are fully self-sufficient where we can live and eat you know off of our dairy cows the milk the yogurt the kefir the butter everything um not just that but now we're we're overflowing and any abundance we have we're we're sharing with our community and that to me was just like the most fulfilling thing like as much as it sounds like a beautiful story now but honestly it came from a lot of loss loss of friendships loss of kind of my sanity at the time and um to go from there to 3 years later and realizing oh my gosh like from three chickens to where we are today with three cows and not just feeling that we were alone to now having a group of people that we could help one another it's just really fulfilling you you bring in three hundred dollars chickens with you, or do you? <laughs> I'm still paying off those eggs. <laughs> I, like, I wonder if eggs from a three hundred dollars chicken just taste better. I don't know. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah. Well, I, I would like to hear a little bit maybe about what this has been like for your family, for your your children especially. I mean, how have they adapted to this lifestyle? Yeah, they have embraced it. I mean, I we used to talk about entrepreneurship all the time. We homeschooled mm-hmm. back when, oh gosh, my oldest was starting kindergarten. Just because okay. California was California was passing some laws, and I, we tried to, I tried to really push against it, but realized, oh, they really don't care what we think, and they'll just continue mowing forward anyway. And that was the moment that I, that I said, okay, well, I've never, I've. <laughs> I've had my own reservations about homeschooling and homeschoolers before and up until that moment. And then I realized, oh, you know what? We're going to figure out how to do it and do it well and do it our way. Um, and so I've, I've, we've been homeschooling since the beginning. It's been now what, six years of homeschooling. So we've taken them on the road with us. You know, we are a little bit more eclectic. We do have them in a co-op here. Um, but you know, we are traveling. Like right now, we are in Florida and we'll visit other farmers. We'll visit other friends of ours. Ironically, through Instagram with, you know, really great community, even though we're not physically close to each other, but just having them around other people where they they can see that these other families are doing it and they believe the same things that we do. They are fully aware. They value the same things. I think that has been really good for them versus where we were in California, where it was just, I really felt like I was going around, like my head was cut off and I was pushing back at a lot of these stores towards the end um, in the last couple of months before we left and just really showing them, Hey, this is how we're going to push back and stand for our rights at some of these stores. And my husband got to the point where he was just like, I just don't want to go grocery shopping with you anymore. It's embarrassing. <laughs> I'm like, well, how are we going to teach them when enough is enough and you have to learn how to say no, but say no respectfully. Right. But I mean, yeah. I can't imagine the other side of that, which is them thinking, oh, mom, like that's embarrassing or you're nuts right? <laughs> versus not having to do that now and, and meeting other moms who, gosh, you know, are defending and standing strong just as much as I am. So I don't feel so crazy and they don't feel that as well. 
community is just so important. I mean, for you and for your family and, and for, you know, just all these families included. I mean, I used to think when I first got into homesteading, it was more about, you know, just be on my property, grow some food, do my thing. And this term self-sufficiency or self-reliance, you think self, right? There's nothing yeah. self about self-reliance. I mean, it's a community, it's, you know, and to be more self-reliant and self-sufficient. And, um, yeah. And, and you just find that you need that. It's how you're going to grow. It's how you're going to be supported. It's how you're going to be encouraged. I mean, you got to have community around you. Yeah. And the community here is so unique. It's so strong. Uh, there, there are a lot more elders out here. So, and a lot of their children have moved out to the, to the cities. Right. And so they've kind of abandoned them and everybody here has the same story. Oh, my, my children think we're crazy, you know, <laughs> And, um, and so, so, but what's been really nice is that they teach, they're teaching me and the children, the old ways, you know, down to pressure canning manually. And how do you, how do you hear what that little dingle hopper thing is making a noise to know it's reached the right <laughs> pressure, right? Like you can't really get that off of YouTube. And and I'm, I just don't have the patience for YouTube. I, I can't watch a whole video. So I'm more hands-on and I want the children to learn hands-on training from people who've done it for a long time. Where else are you going to get that? And, um, and so it's been great. There's no, with the elders here, it's, it's a great, relationship where we come in, we have kind of the, the quote, I, I have it in air quotes, but like we have the youth, um, we have the energy to come in and we have the desire to want to learn from them. And they are so excited to pass on the knowledge and they could use the help. But I think it's not even just that. I think they're just so grateful to have people, new people come in and want to learn from them when their family is kind of, you know, I know for me, I think about how I want it to be so normal that my, yeah. the future generations of my family don't feel like it's a it's going to be hard to do. You know, yeah. I, I, I part of the reason is a little bit selfish why I want to spread the homesteading bug so much is because yeah. I just want it to be so normal for folks. So yeah. my grandchildren, great grandchildren can fit right into the homesteading community and, and just be like, you know, normal life. I grew up that way, though. I grew up in a homesteading. I mean, every when I, I you know, I grew up in rural Indiana. And everybody had livestock and gardens and food preservations and, you know, just everybody had it and we didn't even think nothing of it, you know? And then, yeah. and then as I got a little older, we kind of got away from that. And a lot of the communities got away from that and, you know, yeah. kids kind of get away from what their parents were doing and it's just part of life. It happens. But then you see a lot of people coming back to it because they realized, oh yeah, maybe mom and dad wasn't so crazy after all. <laughs> <laughs> right. Isn't that funny? Yeah. I know that's been the journey with this this cookbook too. And, and really just going back to the land, going back to, okay, you know, when my parents moved out here with us in April of last year, that was when I, I told, so my, my dad's got dementia and I told my husband, I was still working full-time through this whole thing. And I told my husband, then I said, Hey, I think I need to take three months off and are you okay? I just want to focus on mom and dad. Mm -hmm. And he said, well, yeah, you know, if you if you were going to take the time off, then write that cookbook because I had thrifted all these plates and dishware for at least the last decade into these cardboard boxes. And he moved them from like farm to farm and then across the country. And he said, either do something with them or donate it. Um, and so I took the three months and and spent time with really just 
spent time with mom and dad, sat down with them, documented the story. So they're in the book and really that just appreciating that journey of going back. And even though they lived with us for 12 years, I never, I realized that I never spent that time to really ask and really care. You know, I've heard stories, but I'd, I'd still dismiss it. It wasn't intentional. And so it was really different to just sit down, let me hear and like, why did you do that? And and then why did you do that? And um, just have a better understanding of what their past was like, how they grew up and um, find some similarities that they've passed on to me that I hadn't realized too. Um, but really the, the cookbook wasn't supposed to be anything the way that it has, it's turning out to be. It was supposed to be something that, you know, I take photos, I document everything, um, put it in a Word document, print it at FedEx and get it spiral bounded for the children. That was it. That was, yeah. and that's you know, for the last 10 years, that's all that I've thought like, oh, I'll take really nice pictures. I never thought that it was going to be a published book one day or have the response that it's been getting so far. <laughs> well, how that's how that happened. I mean, what was the inspiration behind actually making it a book, a published book? Oh, well, really, the whole idea of having a cookbook is if you've never cooked with an Asian mom in the kitchen before, <laughs> it can be pretty scary. <laughs> so I wanted the children to still have grandma's recipes because this is something we worked on together for a really long time. I didn't want them to just go away. And mom doesn't cook like we don't cook with uh, measurements. We just cook to taste, uh, yeah. desired taste, right? And and so I wanted something to hand off properly to the children so that they could use for their children and their children's children. Um, and and so as I was starting that process, um, it was so September, I said, okay, I got the green light from my husband. He said, go ahead, take the three months off, focus on mom and dad. By October, Chelsea Green had heard our story, even though I'd gotten off of all social media. <laughs> I'd After 20... 2020, 2021, I, I got off of, of social media with the madness that was going on. And yeah. um, I just abandoned abandoned ship. <laughs> it wasn't important to me anymore. I'm <laughs> working in tech. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. You get a little tired of being in tech, I would imagine. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so it was just, it was just, uh, you know, um, yeah, by October, they had heard our story. By November, we had signed a book deal. And by February, the entire manuscript was due to get it out by this year. Oh, wow. So it's and and typically with a larger publisher, even though they are an independent publisher, it still takes about two to three years um, for a book to come out. So they were really excited about it. And, um, you know, it's it's interesting because I used to get made fun of all the time for eating like fermented foods, just, just stinky, you know, bringing it to school. I don't know why my mom made us bring it to school, <laughs> but like, <laughs> you know, like pate or, or mayonnaise that's been in a bunmi baguette sandwich with, you know, pickled daikons <laughs> and radish and, and carrots. Yeah. It just is a particular smell to it that you just don't send your kids to school with. But <laughs> I used to get made fun of that and eating chicken feet and, and chicken liver that, you know, I actually reserved a whole chapter in the book just for just for offals and actually uh, went back and forth with Chelsea Green really to fight for. No, you have to keep it separate. I'm not putting any of this in like chicken feet into the chicken section because yeah. it's kind of redemptive of my childhood <laughs> trying to redeem, you know, all the things. from. Yeah, from for sure. 
Well, one thing that I've I've said many times uh, on this podcast and to just everybody I talk to is I believe that learning to cook from scratch with things you're growing is probably the the most useful homesteading skill that you can develop. I, I think it's just beyond everything else. I mean, we and it's the one we don't I don't think it gets enough credit. You know, I just don't think that people think about just going into that kitchen with those those things you're growing and yeah. putting together a meal is people don't think about it being one of the the top homesteading skills, but yeah. I think it absolutely is. Absolutely. I mean, it's part of homesteading. It's part of, you know, permaculture and using what you have, not wasting anything down mm-hmm. to, you know, the chickens that we butcher, what we do with its blood, what the, the feathers or, you know, after we harvest all of its organs, how we're cooking it in the kitchen to be the most nutrient dense for our family. And then even after making broth from the bones, for example, we'll return that back to the soil. So nothing gets thrown away. And I think that's one of the most beautiful things and one of the most important things that we learn when we're talking about homesteading. And modern homesteading is important because you know, we're still using some of that technology. We're still using some of the things that we have access to us. Like I was just thinking about it right before we left. I was thinking, hey, you know, the mere fact that we have a refrigerator is excellent, (laughs) you know, and when they were homesteading, they didn't have access to any of that. But I just harvested a bunch of green tomatoes before the frost and I just stuck it into the refrigerator. And I'm so grateful for that. And, you know, how do we go back into our past, into what our how our ancestors lived, and take the good from that, and take the good from modern technology, and find that balance. Because I think you know there are things that are coming with technology, or things that exist today, that aren't great for us. And once that technology goes into our food, that's that's where we really should slow it down. And and, and, and they're going full force right now with that. I mean, it's just the, I mean, everything's just moving so fast in the food industry as far as just the changes that are being made to to what they're wanting us to put in our bodies that, yeah, it right. makes me real glad I'm, I'm growing my own food for the most part. Yes. <laughs> you know, the irony is this, like a lot of my relatives, a lot of my cousins and family members, they're out in the Bay Area still. So they work at, you know, large firms that I'm sure we've all heard of. And the irony is one of one of my um, family members actually works for a company that does gene editing for vegetables, like li- literally a state over from where we are. And, and then you've got us who's just trying to figure out, you know, how do we use uh, how do we make our own fertilizer? How do we grow our own food? How do we save our own seeds? How do we keep the cycle going? That's, mm-hmm. you know, we don't have to be you know, they they talk about sustainability and there's nothing sustainable about being more and more dependent on these systems that if our food is grown in a lab, those lights and the the electricity has to be turned on. There's nothing sustainable about that. Yeah. The most sustainable thing out there is a thing that's been sustainable for centuries, and that's a seed dropping from a plant, replanting itself and growing and producing more food <laughs> seeds, right? I mean, it, absolutely. that's the most sustainable thing there is, or an animal giving birth and raising just the circle of life. These are sustainable things, and we, we want absolutely. to complicate it, and we want to control it, and we want to make it what we want to be. Yeah, it just doesn't make sense. Yeah, it doesn't. To complicate the simplicities. Yeah, I just it's crazy. <laughs> But well, yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, what you're doing is fantastic. I mean, I think the changes you've made in your life, you appreciate and I'm, I'm and a lot of people are being 
affected by it as far as the education they're receiving. I mean, not just your own family, but you're out there talking about it as well. I mean, and and now you're writing, you wrote a book and it's going to be yeah. coming out. And uh, so who wants, who should be getting this book? I mean, obviously I think cooking's important, um, yeah. but let's talk about the twist on it. It's, it's from, uh, it's an, it's Asian recipes, right? Asian recipes and it's Asian inspired from uh, the nourishing traditions book. So okay. really it's the, the Asian version of nourishing traditions is, is how I'm kind of, uh, presenting it as. But what's really important is, is when you start looking into gut health and brain health, I mean, there's the GAPS diet. Um, but what's really important is understanding the biodiversity. And as a farmer, as a homesteader, I think when it comes to adding that biodiversity into our soil, it helps feed the microbes in the soil. They become more resilient to pests. Same thing with our gut. When we introduce more biodiversity from different flavors, different spices, different techniques of how we're preparing our food, and so if you are familiar with cooking from scratch, eating from scratch, and that's nourishing traditions, this is another element to come in where I'm not just talking about uh, sauerkraut, but I'm talking about kimchi, right? Mm -hmm. Instead of just uh, chicken broth, I'm making chicken pho, which is a healing broth using spices. And a lot of our Asian culture, we put a lot of emphasis into these nutrient-dense broths and healing, especially after postpartum. Um, we have a 40-day period after you know postpartum that, or after giving birth in our postpartum period where really all the mom is doing is lying there and and eating all these nutrient dense broths. And that's something that is missing. And I think in the American culture, I mean, growing up in America and the way that I was brought working through my pregnancies and the birth and the afterbirth and, and trying to get back to work because FMLA was expiring and I need to get back to work to get a paycheck. But I think, you know, I, I, my mom made these broths for me. And I think, and it's not just for postpartum, but it's anybody who's wanting to heal from nutrient-dense foods. Yeah. Um, At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. For, for, for me specifically, what woke me up was obviously the cookbooks, right? Yeah. From, from my daughter and making applesauce. And so I, my wish is for someone to also wake up to the food industry with beautiful photos in uh, in our cookbook because I think that digestion really does start from our eyes first and so I made a really valiant effort to make sure that the photos were beautiful to capture the beauty of our cuisine but also capture the nourishing aspects of our way of living um, both from the Asian farming technique but also the Asian nourishing foods um, uh, preparation and cooking as well yeah I think that's great I, I love that I think it'd be a really great cookbook to have on my shelf just because also, I mean, I'm really into nutrient dense food, obviously, but sometimes the way, I, I mean, I grew up and the way I grow things, things get a little bland and a little boring, you know, and I love to try new things and, and put a little different flavor into things. And, you know, it's just, sometimes I feel like we're just eating the same things over and over and over. So I love the idea of mixing it up a little bit and you know, kind of changing my dishes. 
Absolutely. And and just to, just to note that you don't need to have access to the Asian grocery store because a lot of our things, I don't go to the Asian grocery store anymore um, for a long time. A lot of these you can grab at your local health food store. So um, whether that's in a larger city, but or you could order them online. And I have resources in the back of the book to show you exactly how easily accessible it is. So I think that's often one of the things that I hear like, oh, I'd love to make and cook more Asian food. I have someone in the family who loves it, but I don't know where to start or where to buy anything. And so I show you exactly how I source everything. Yeah. And it can also just inspire maybe someone growing a lot of different things for their garden too. I mean, yes. things you never thought about maybe growing before and you're like, well, I'm going to start making this dish and this dish. Yeah. So I need to start growing these items because I love growing new things. I mean, it's like the highlight of my year every year is like find two or three new things and add them to my garden, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Or I get people who um, grow bok choy because they buy the chart, the the starters, bok choy, pak choy. And then they're like, I yeah. don't know what to do yeah. with it. What do it. you do with that? Yeah. Just like, it's just, <laughs> Isn't that just fancy lettuce or something? What is this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good for you. But also yeah. in the book, I also have like, here are the things that you can grow that are the Asian veggies in your backyard. Or if you don't have them, then here's an equivalent that you could buy and, and substitute and that tastes the same. That's awesome. I try to cover it for everybody. Yeah, yeah. And I love that you say you you talked with your parents and you've got some stories from them in there as well. And, and I think you're going to, you know, I think that's something that... Um, you got the generations in your family. You'd be glad you sat down and talked with them about, you know, where this stuff comes from and and just their story and stuff. I think that's great to put in there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my mom had a lot of stories about how she grew up and um and especially with the Vietnamese culture, the French colonized um way back in the 1800s, and so they introduced like condensed milk. And I do have. You know, Sally Fallon has talked about condensed milk. And so the way that we make our own is approved and it's not hard. You don't have to buy things canned because if you look in the grocery stores today, a lot of them in the back of the label, they'll say it's made from bioengineered products. Yep. Does it have to be like that? Right. And um, so I think if we just go back to, I mean, the way that they lived, even though, yes, a lot of the condensed milk was, you know, probably imported from outside of Asia, but there were ways that were still clean eating without all of the bioengineering in our food today. Get back to simplifying that and making it just, just take the complexity out of these things. We don't need it. I we agree. don't. And yeah. It just, I think it just takes the nutrients away. And um, yeah, it, it just, it's just not what we're meant to eat and put in our bodies. No, absolutely not. And I think that, and that's my hope for the for the book. It's more than just a cookbook. Um, Joel Salatin said uh, in an interview that I did with him, he said, "What better way to defund Monsanto than with a great cookbook?" <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah. I mean, I, well, the, the movements there. I mean, we're seeing. Joel calls it the the tsunami, this homesteading tsunami that he's talked about and written about, and. Um, I think we see it. I mean, I think you see it too. I mean, you, you guys are, you guys are helping homesteaders in a lot of ways. Um, you want to talk a little bit about that? I mean, there's, you, I mean, you and your husband are still involved with real estate and things like yep. that. Right. So yeah. So my husband, yeah, great. Yeah. Thank you. So my husband's the homesteading realtor. He's just a homesteading realtor.com actually. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, we get a lot of inquiry. And in fact, this cookbook ironically has been 
kind of a, a marketing lead qualifier for us where people have heard our story and they'll reach out and say, hey, you know, we want to do what you're doing. I'm out in New York City or I'm in California, I'm in Portland and I want to do what you're doing. Can you help us find some land for homesteading? Uh, and they're, you know, just getting started right now. So we've, we're a couple of steps ahead. I think we've moved pretty quickly uh, just out of necessity and just the way that we operate. But yeah, we do. He is a soil consultant um, and we both really have gone back into our Asian farming techniques. So there's Korea natural farming. I don't know if you're familiar with that and Jadam, mm -hmm. which is really creating not just ferments in the kitchen, but ferments for the garden specifically. So we just, again, going back to what Joel Salatin talked about 12 years ago, I think we've just taken it into another level and bringing our culture into it, which is really not trying to throw anything away down to our rice water and our milk. And so the rice water will create um, lacto lactic acid bacteria, which we will ferment the, the rice water for 48 hours. And then we'll use that to inoculate our raw milk that we have access to on our farm as well. Mm -hmm. And we'll let that ferment and, and um, be basically create a fertilizer, but also a cheese curd will form out of it that you can then eat. Wow. And my whole point is, why are we eating strawberries from the grocery stores with people who have had to wear hazmat suits to spray our strawberries yeah. when we can kind of create our own types of ferments for fertilizers or pesticides naturally and actually eat it and drink it if we absolutely had to. Right. Yeah. And so we've just, it's been a journey. It's been quite an unraveling of like layer peeling back layers over the last couple of years and just getting smart um, and honoring our culture and how, our culture has farmed how we've eaten and um you know we would talk about ancestral eating we we really have gone back in that and also looking at farming and so um he has a network that's built out with um other real estate agents that he has vetted for those who are looking to homestead where they're at. Um, some people don't move out to the area that we're at because they've got family, they want to be closer to the city, kind of like what we did when we moved up to northern sacramento yeah. area we still wanted to stay around the area but you know other things to look out to so as he does work with um tennessee california north carolina clients he's advising people to take a look at um different types of land how how you can farm where you live how you can farm where you're at and you can you can farm anywhere you can farm in the desert too you just have to know mm -hmm what yeah. inputs to put in there and what the soil needs. And it's really just about building up soil health. Um, and so we've just really doubled down down with that in the last couple of years. And I also am a lender. So I have expanded as well from California, Tennessee, North Carolina, and Florida. And that's just basically because I'm, all of my business, all of our business has been from referral. Um, we really, you know, we really love the people that we work with. They're incredible people. They all think the same way. We don't really have to convince people. They they know what's going on and are trying to find community as well. So we're happy to help wherever we can. Um, you mentioned a few states. Or is that pretty much just your what your focus is right now? Are you planning on expanding to anywhere in the United States eventually? Or is it you know, stay more local? 
for for myself, yeah. So he's got a network of of agents all over fifty different states, depending oh, okay. where okay. people are looking um, to homestead. Uh, for for myself, I think I'll get there. But for now, since I'm doing um, this, this is quite enough work already to keep me yeah. pretty busy for Tennessee, North Carolina, and Florida, and California. That it's been great, unless I until I get to the point where I might need to hire a team. But sure. honestly, it's just. This was when we left California, we were prepared to leave everything behind. And we actually bought an extra large plucker for chickens because we thought that we'd have to become chicken farmers one day. And that was our reality. That was really where we were. We we didn't think that we would still have the possibility to be doing real estate, but we were so grateful that it has led us to a point where not only is um, business has been really picking up with the right clients. And even as interest rates have climbed up above eight and a half percent today, we have people who are like, please find us something. And it's really, and they appreciate, they know that land is, we're not making land anymore. In fact, they're taking land away from us. So the competition is pretty ripe. And because we both come from the Bay area where arguably it's the most competitive market um, in the world uh, to definitely in the country to be making offers and competing it's we're using the same strategies and tactics that we did in silicon valley for our bay area clients oh, that's uh, awesome. you know and and he's a he's a west pointer he's a military uh ex-military so he specializes in vas right so he's always trying to go to bat we're always trying to go to bat for um he, he like kind of the underdogs because when you're talking about the bay area when you're coming in at 0% down against people who have all cash offers or lots of stock options it's kind of a disadvantage for our va clients and so we'll still outcompete and win deals for our va buyers because we're educating the listing agent that the VA buyer is a strong buyer. I will come in from the lending side and tell them I will close. You know, this won't be an issue. And we've done tons of these deals that, um, you know, I think we have had a very good reputation for the VA, um, the veterans in California. Well, that's a that's a great service, you know, that you're offering there. Because, yeah, there's folks that do need a lot of help in that because you're right. The competition is pretty hard. And, and in reality is, especially in the last few years, things have made it real hard for people to put away just tons of money to say, make cash offers on property or even come in with super large down payments. It's actually become quite difficult. Yeah, it has. It has. And so I think that's where it, we, because we've dealt with it so often in the Bay Area, coming out into you know rural Tennessee, North Carolina, it's not uncommon for us. We know how to navigate through that when our borrowers can't, you know, get to 20% down, for example, we know how to still sell and still outcompete. And because now we're seeing multiple bidding offers, even at eight, eight and a half percent interest rate, we're still seeing multiple bidding offers on properties that have have water, have pasture, 10 acres, because everyone's looking for that. <laughs> yeah, I, I see around here all the time where I live, even here in Indiana, I see properties you know, going way above the asking price. They'll just get in these bidding wars and just jack it way up. And, you know, it's crazy to me because I just can't hardly <laughs> fathom that. But yeah, it happens all the time. Yeah, it's it's a very interesting time to be alive. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's definitely watching everything. Yeah, yeah, for sure. 
Well, you you got a lot going on, and and you're gonna have a. T- I want to share all the links uh, uh, for your husband's business and, and all the things you guys are doing in your social media and and your book, especially. Uh, it's uh, by the time this comes out, it'll just be a few days away from uh, coming out. And um, yeah, people should jump on that. I know I want a copy of it because. I'm I'm looking to spice up my cooking a little bit. I want some better recipes. You know, I'm tired of eating my same old bland recipes every day. So I'm looking forward to it. Um, but yeah, I'm going to make sure I get all that in there. Is there anything uh, you want to add as far as where people can uh, find you? Sure. Yeah. I mean, you can follow us on Instagram. That's probably where we're most active um, at Sprinkle with Soil. I share kind of our day-to-day life, but we're also building up our YouTube I mean, we just hit 500 subscribers, so that's like, woohoo! <laughs> Without I like really, it I was checking it out. You guys are doing some good stuff there. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's been all organic, and and coming from my world in tech, where you know we paid for everything, paid for traffic. Mm-hmm. I really refuse to pay these companies. <laughs> so I'll celebrate every like and every follow. So I appreciate everyone there. Um, and uh, the book is called The Nourishing Asian Kitchen, and you can find it on Amazon. So we really encourage pre-orders from now until December. I have pre-order bonuses that are coming out where I show you how to chop a chicken and piece out your chicken out the Japanese way. So you're not doling your blade. It's all clean cut and you can use the carcass to make your broth. Uh, and then you have extra recipes. And I also have a giveaway for a cast iron wok, which is really cool. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> really cool. Yeah. Awesome. Um, and then my husband is Tim Ng and he's at homesteadingrealtor.com. And you can find him on Instagram at homesteading agent. And definitely reach out if you, if anybody out there is interested in trying to find their homestead and, and just want some advice and consulting. Yeah. Awesome. Are you guys still doing your podcast at all anymore? Yes. Yeah, so we do our <laughs> podcast. It is, it, it's called call to farms and it's a nod on call to arms because we are a military family. And so we're, we're telling everybody, we're encouraging everybody to pick up their shovels and join the fight for small farms. <laughs> I've listened to like 12 or so episodes in the last two days. <laughs> I've been burning through it. I love it. You guys are great. <laughs> oh, thanks, Harold. I, I'm a podcast listener, though. It's what I do. <laughs> oh, that's that's really encouraging for us because, you know, we're doing everything ourselves. Nothing is generating any income right now. It's just really doing it for the love of of this and inspiring everybody because we really do honestly believe in order for us to really overcome what's coming at us, you know, in the next year, in the next couple of years, we really do have to stick together and everybody has to be doing their part, even if it's, you know, starting to grow your first tomato plant or, you know, starting to take a look into our food and starting to make a meal at home. It starts from there. And You know, we're we're excited to be a part of the movement. We're honored to be a part of the movement and um and hope to inspire everybody. Well, you're doing great things and and I appreciate everything you're doing. I mean, it's just uh we need a lot of folks like you out there doing it because uh we don't know what we're facing and but we also know this. We know that this is a better way to live. It's healthier, it's better for the family, it's better mm-hmm. for the communities, it's just a better way. And I, yeah. I love that the folks are out there promoting it. Yes. Yeah. Thank you so much, Harold, for putting this all together and having me on your show. I'm really excited. I think that um, it's just a matter of time. We'll just continue to build together. But I think this is it's an honor to be part of the movement with you. Awesome. Yeah, Glad to have you involved in it for sure. Well, Sophia, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you, Harold.